0: Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 73. Do the things of others sometimes bother you? I don't just mean that others have things, but does it bother you that they have things you don't? Do you sometimes see they've got more stuff? It's better stuff. It's happier stuff. Not just things, but even talents and abilities. Do you ever sometimes see someone else, man, I wish I had what they got. They've got not only the things, but they've got the talent. They've got the treasure. They've got everything that's going with all of that. It just seems like life is fun for them. I don't know if you've ever struggled with envy wanting stuff that other people have. I mean I've always struggled with it. It's something that, that just blasts at you all the time, every day. If you if you turn on a TV, you look on the internet, wherever, you just see this stuff of others. I've always wanted to get rid of these bird legs, you know? I just always wanted hunky, chunky fullback kind of legs. So I could just like Joel, man. I, I want to be like you, man. <laughs> Why can't I be like that? You know, have you ever struggled with something like that? People used to tell me, try to ease my conscience, say, well, God didn't give you, you know, hunky, chunky legs, but he made you strong. Yeah, like, I'm going to go to the plastic surgeon. I've been made so strong, and I'm going to ask for bicep reduction surgery, right? That's crazy. We don't do that because we don't want less. We want more. No man wants less muscle. If my biceps were that big, i said, give me more. We always want more of something. We struggle when other people have it. The thing we want, they've got, we struggle. The psalmist is struggling with it here. You know, is it fair for the unrighteous... Put it spiritual. Is that fair for the unrighteous man to have more than the righteous man? And then start thinking about some of the promises God gives us in his word. Like uh, in Malachi, says, You know, if you will give to me a tenth of everything I give to you, if you'll tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings that will overwhelm you. All right? I'm a testimony to that. God has poured out for me blessings that do overwhelm me. His word is true. But then I look out and I see other people, unrighteous people who haven't tithe, and they seem to have more. Some of them have good tunes on their you know, phones. I don't have those tunes. Mine goes quack, quack, quack. Do you, do you ever wonder... The unrighteous man, I think about the tithing thing. I think about, God says, if you're meditating my word day and night, you'll be like a tree firmly planted that's going to produce an abundance more. Then you look out at the unrighteous person and you say, but they still seem to have even more. You struggle with that conflict. I'm trying to serve the Lord. It's true. God is blessing me. And yet, why do I struggle that other people seem to have more? Um, God tells us to honor him with our bodies. He says, do you not recognize that you have been purchased with a price? Therefore, glorify me in your bodies. And so you try to be a good steward of what God has given you, and then you get blessed for that, but then you look out and you see, well, other people... They could care less that God has made their body, and it seems like every time they eat and drink, it's like a feast. And they just enjoy it so. And they're just so fat and happy. I'm sorry, fat's not a politically correct word anymore. They're curvy and happy, right? Why does God bless them so and give us this conflict of you know wanting to live it up you know they seem to be just having thrills and treasures and things and then there's us and why do we struggle so with envy i get sometimes get envious how do we live pleasing to god When we want other things. Well, Psalm 73 is the answer. I want us to look at Psalm 73 together. First of all, realize there is a difference between envy and jealousy. We're not talking about jealousy here, primarily righteous jealousy. If we were talking about wrong jealousy, that's envy. There's a difference. It's right to be jealous for what's rightfully yours. I'm jealous for my wife. She's jealous for me. I'm jealous for my kids. I'm jealous for you, my church. I'm, I'm jealous for things that are rightfully mine. I want those, God's given them to me, I've been designed for them, that's right. Envy is different from that. Envy is wanting something that has not been designed for you. It's wanting something that belongs to someone else, that is not yours. That's what we're dealing with in Psalm 73. Those desires in our hearts to want something that God didn't intend for us, or it's something he gave to someone else. It's their possessions. It's their wife. It's their husband. It's their things. It's not ours. The psalmist struggles. He said, I got a conflict with that. Look at verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Absolute statement. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, jump down to verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long. You see the conflict? Verse 1, it's good to be pure. Verse 13, I'm not sure it's good to be pure. I've been pure in vain. He's got this conflict. Is it, on one hand, it looks like it would be good to be pure. On the other hand, I'm not sure it is. That's not the only place. Look at verse 5. He says, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. You know, if you're a Christian, you're not in trouble. You're not plagued. Look at verse 14. I've been stricken all day long, chasing every morning. So I am plagued. I am stricken. Got this conflict, this confusion in this psalm. It's this internal conflict with envy. I know I'm supposed to be pure and righteous and holy, and yet <sighs> seems like other people who are not pure and righteous and holy, they have more. So I, is it vain for me to be pure and righteous and holy? Am I getting what I need to be getting? God says he's going to keep me from plagues, and yet then I catch the flu. What's with that? You know, I've got this conflict. I want to be like one of those who doesn't catch the flu. You know, we all do. We, we envy that position do you ever have that internal conflict? Do you ever get depressed because of these things? Does it bother you? Um, catch the reason here. Why, what, what is the reason for our envy? Understand this. God does not stop being good to his people. When you're envious, when I'm envious, the problem is not that God stopped being good to you or stopped being good to me the problem is i started being envious of others and you started being envious of others and that's what the psalmist says verse three says because i was envious of the arrogant i saw the prosperity of the wicked see that's that's his rationale says my problem was not that god was Stop being good, and he's still good. My problem was, I started becoming envious. I started wanting something you had. I started wanting what others have. I started to want to be something different than God had made me. And it eats him up. The first 14 verses is just this internal conflict. Let me um, read some more. Verse verse 2, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps almost slipped verse 4 for there are no pains in their death and their body is fat they are not in trouble as other men nor they plague like mankind therefore pride is their necklace their garment of violence covers them their eye bulges from fatness the imaginations of their heart run riot they mock and wickedly speak of oppression they speak from on high they have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth I mean, they can just say and do whatever they want, and it seems to be okay, and it bothers me. So let me give you a different perspective. Look at Luke chapter 16. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Great perspective on this. Let's read a few of the verses. Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. Now there was a A rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed from the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Beside, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. All right, you get the picture. There's a comparison here of two people. The rich man, joyously living. He's got everything. Everything. He is living it up. He eats the feast. He enjoys his riches. It's just a wonderful life. And then there's this poor man Lazarus that would just love to get crumbs from the table. Because he's in such pain, such agony, he would be envious of the rich one. That's kind of the the picture you get. Here's the man, and then he takes us into to hell. Let me just take us further. Look at verse twenty two and following. Now, the, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. All right, there's the picture. you got this rich man. Who's in the coolest house, but he ends up in death in the hottest hell. And then you got this poor man in agony who ends up in the mansions of heaven in full blessing. So you see the comparison. So when you get an eternal perspective on this, a lot of times the person you would be envying, if Lazarus was envying the rich man, It really, you turn the tables when you look at eternity, really the rich man should be envying Lazarus and does so from hell. He says, I I wish I would like Lazarus. He's in Abraham's bosom. I wish you would send him to me just to give me some relief. And a lot of times our internal conflict is due to the fact that we don't have that full perspective on what is really going on in all of eternity. We need advice from God. Look at Psalm 37, verses 1 through 7. A great passage just directed towards instruction for envy. Psalm 37, verse 7, verses. says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. See, it's just straightforward direction. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Just like that rich man. They're going to fade out and it's not going to be pretty. Instruction for us. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him and do not fret because of him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. It's just great instruction there for us. You've got a choice. Choose to be content in Christ. Choose to trust in Him, Choose to rest in His design. Choose to go and do life His way. Don't be envious of people who are doing it differently who seem to have more and are going about it differently. He says, don't go there. Just trust in the Lord. Do not be envious of those who are going in a different way. You know, prosperity breeds disciples. And we got to be careful with that. That's Satan's tool. You see somebody who's, who seems to have it. They're prosperous. And it breeds disciples. God says, don't be envious of that. Watch out. That's a, that's a spot it's easy for us to jump into and say, I wish I had that, I want that. You might not even share it with anybody, but it's in your heart. So watch out for that. We need to be content. Just stay with God's plan, stay with what God has given us. Um, Psalm Back in Psalm 73, uh, verse uh, 10 through 14, let me read, read some more. Therefore his people return to this place, and water, waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? I think his people here in verse 10 is, is, is us. It's, so we come back, we're drinking it up from God, and then we start thinking about these people who have more again, verse 11, and we think, how would God know if we you know, went for more than what God's given? And, it, and is there knowledge with the Most High? Verse 12, Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease, and they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I've been stricken all day long and chastened every day. As I look at the psalmist here, I don't see him completely given over to envy, but he's sharing this internal struggle, sharing what's in his heart. He said, I'm struggling here. Surely... Is my life in vain? I mean, I'm seeing these people, and they've got more, and I want it. Would God know if I went after it? Would God really care? Or would it still be, okay, after all, I'm a Christian? You know, and he's struggling with that whole perspective. Um, Perhaps you're not there yet. I don't know. I, I am at times. I'm conflicted. And it's this internal conflict that the psalmist is dealing with. Perhaps you need a verse. Um, as I've looked for a verse to, to memorize and just make it succinct, it's Proverbs 23, verse 17, so I'll give it to you. It says, Proverbs 23:17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. We could say that easy. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Say that. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Do not let your heart envy sinners. I didn't lead you too good. Do not let your heart envy sinners. And then the second part of it, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Say, live in the fear of the Lord always. Live. In See the comparison, the parallel there. Don't let your heart, and using the heart there. In other words, don't let your heart burn. For sinners, that's the envy. Rather, let your heart burn for the Lord. Your heart's got to do something. What choice are you going to make? Choose the right thing. Don't let your heart burn for sinners, what they've got. Let your heart burn for the Lord. Stay with Christ. Burn after Christ. Pray for that Lord. I want a passion for more of you, not for more of them. And that's great instruction when we're struggling in this this conflict. What does the counsel Psalm 73 gives us? I want to show you three things in Psalm 73. When when you've got this internal conflict with envy, like I say, it's hard not to go through a day and not see something. Say, oh, it'd be nice to have. And this conflict begins to, to come up. First of all, he says in verse 15 and 16, I'm going to give it to you this way. I know I gave you an outline, but I'm going to change it a little bit. Speak carefully, seek church, and submit completely, okay? Number one, speak carefully. When you're envious, first thing is to speak carefully. Verse 15 and 16, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Now think about that a minute. The psalmist says, I need to watch what I'm saying because if I had said what I wanted to say, I would have betrayed people. How how can you say certain things that would betray the church? He says, I don't want to do that. He says, I pondered that and I understood it was troublesome to me that that I would even go there. We need to speak carefully. He's saying, you know, when I speak to people... I. I can't share all of this internal conflict. If I were to speak such, if I were to share with you what's really on my heart, or if I were to share with you all of my envy, I would end up betraying you. I'd end up hurting you. I would not be helping you. Now, I know there's, there's, there's a movement in the politically correct world that says, oh, I just love it when he talks about all of his sin. He's so honest. He's so authentic. He's so real. And here we have a psalmist that says, I can't talk about all my sin. Because if I do that, I will betray you. Now, it is important for me to share some of what is in my heart, just as the psalmist has shared. Because I need you to pray for me. I need you to help bear my burdens. Scripture's clear on that. So there's times that you share, hey, I've got a problem with me. Would you pray for me? Okay, I'd be glad to do that. Let me, let me give you a verse. Let me bear some of that burden with you. The psalmist says, but I can't go into that more and end up betraying you. Have you ever been around somebody that they just just always want to talk about their problems? Woe is me. I don't have anything. If I got any luck at all, it's bad luck. You know, that kind of person. You know, I, I, I got pains. I've had the flu. I've had the stomach bug. I've had go into hospital, I've had surgeries, I had a wreck, I fired fired from my job. It's like, oh, please be quiet. You know, I just, I don't want to hear anymore. Well, I'm just being honest, just being real, being authentic. At some point you say, yeah, but you're killing me here. I mean, I just get tired of it over and over. Because I betrayed because that's not your job. Your job is not to tell me how bad your life is. Where did we think that? Let's rehearse. Go back to Ephesians 4.29. Most, one of the most important verses in the Bible you need to, to have memorized and use every day. And I've shared this with you before, but I think we need it again. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. What's an unwholesome word? I'm talking about them Words that betray the church. Words that are bringing you down. He tells you exactly what the words would be. He says, but only such a word as is good for edification. The word edification means to build, to build up, an edifice. Good words for building, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So the church's responsibility is to only speak, only words. I mean, you can judge a Christian by the way he speaks, Uh, James talks about the non-Christian. is also easy to judge by the way he speaks because his tongue is always unrestrained. But a Christian speaks such a word as to build you up. And it's not flattery. It's according to the need. They look at you and they hear certain things. Let me try to build you up. We're always looking for ways to edify the church. And if I go to you and you come to me and you start telling me certain things, my job is to think, how can I pray for you and how can I build you up? And that's your job. How can I pray for you? How can I build you up? Well, if I just keep tearing you down, 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 and I keep heaping on you all of these problems, at some point you say, I've been betrayed. I didn't get into this conversation for that. I got in to be built up and for me to build up. And all you're doing is taking me down. And that's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 73. If I, if I speak just constantly about this internal conflict of my envy with you, I betray you. There's times we've got to learn to shut up, to be quiet. Share the problem, yes, please pray for me. Help me with this. But stop me. Don't let me just go on and on so that you don't like being around me because all I do is talk about me. That's betraying you. I need to be at a place where I build you up. In other words, if you're going to deal with envy, you can't constantly speak as though the saints are always sighing and the sinners are always singing. You've got to learn to see. I'm singing too. I'm not always sighing. If you don't get that straight in your speech, you won't get it straight in your actions. We've got to learn to say, here's my sigh, but I'm also singing. I'm not going to just talk about that. I'm going to share the praises of God. God's given me this affliction and this affliction is good for me. And I rejoice in all my afflictions as the Apostle Paul says. We've got to get there too. So if you're going to cure envy, you've got to get to the place where it's not about you. It's not about always sharing your problems and going on and on about them. It would just be wonderful if Christian, non-Christians came up to us and said, man, I'd love being around you because though you're authentic, you're real, you'll share your problems, you don't stay there. You go on to the glories of God and the beauty of Christ and the redemption that's yours and it's just fun hearing such hopeful, loving language. Well, that's where the psalmist takes us. First of all, to deal with envy, we've got to learn to speak carefully. Pray for me, help me, and let's, let's rejoice together. Secondly, he says, seek the church, verse 17. Until I came into church, the sanctuary of God, then I perceived therein. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Um, how, how they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by the sudden terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. What's the psalmist saying? He said, I got the church and I got eternal perspective. Where do you get that other than here? He says, it wasn't until I came into the sanctuary of God, to the church, I started hearing the word of God, started hearing the prayers of God, started seeing the church, the people of God. I started getting their edification, their encouragement. I was stimulated. when When I saw the righteous people of God, when I saw a picture of who I am and where I'm really going, then I thought back to those Wicked people I was envying, and I realize they're going to be gone like that. Why, why am I envying them? He's, the language he uses here is slippery. He says, surely when I perceive their end, so the end result of their life, surely you set them in slippery places. You get the full perspective. It, it, it's like a sliding board. Just imagine life for the wicked man, on a huge slide. And you look at them sliding down that slide, and their hands are up in the air, and they're laughing, and it's a thrilling time. And if if you just take a snapshot right there, you say, man, they're having fun, I wish I could have that. And then you come to church, and somebody says, yeah, but let's span out a little bit, look at this. And you get to the end of the slide, and you see they're sliding down. They're thrilled, but they slide off into this lake of fire like that. In a moment, God destroys them, and they're in eternity in pain because that's the picture of the Scriptures. That's the picture the church knows. He says, when I saw that, it changed everything for me. I don't want to be on that slide, even if it is thrilling, because where it is going is not where I want to go. I'd much rather be on this uphill that's going into the glories of heaven, into the bosom of Abraham like Lazarus. That's the direction. No matter how much the affliction to get there, much better choice. We need to be in church to get that perspective, because where do you get it except from the people of God who know the difference between heaven and hell and still believe in them? Still believe in the God who's created both. Still believe in the God who's created judgment for the evildoers. We need that perspective. Look at Psalm 92, verse 5 through 9. Psalm 92, just a couple over here. It says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this that when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you, O Lord, are are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. Absolute truth. We need to see that. Those that we envy many times Are those who are destined for the lake of hell. And we are the foolish and senseless and stupid ones for envying them. We need to hear this whenever our hearts are filled with envy. So speak carefully. Seek the church and then submit completely. Look at verses 21 through 24. It says, when my heart was embittered, when I was pierced within. So he he shows us there. It's really this heart internal conflict. Then I was senseless, and ignorant, and I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you, and you've told, ta- you've taken a hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward receive me uh, to glory. Submission takes us from sin to glory. I just love the the imagery here of of holding the hand of God, God taking hold of our right hand. He says, walk with me. Let me counsel you. Let me, let me take you in to the weightiness of heaven and see all that is there for you. Um, we just need to submit to that. And say, oh, wow, yes, Lord. Uh, I'm senseless, I'm ignorant. Why, what was I thinking? Spurgeon, when I read uh, Spurgeon's commentary on this, he says, if the earthly goods were really of much value, God wouldn't have given so much of them to people he loves the least. When you you think through that, sometimes we're we're after what's really not of great value. But to hold the hand of God, for him to take hold of my hand, and to take me into... His glory. I want to submit to that. It. I think of it like this: uh, when I want to envy stuff that others have, I'm thinking it, it's like envying the happy meal compared to a, an eternal treasure. Does anybody still have a happy meal? Those little trinkets that come with them. I mean, they thrill us, you know, when you get them, but they're they're very quickly destroyed because they break and they're worthless But a lot of times we want the happy meal when god is promising us an eternal weight of glory beyond what we can price i think you get that imagery here of just man it's just so good to be held by god and to be taken to his glory don't miss don't miss repentance verses 21 through 24 is repentance what i mean by that is a change of mind it's a change from wanting what's in the world to I want what's in heaven. I want what's in glory. I want what God has. Uh, it's a recognition, verse 22, I'm stupid. It says, then I was senseless and stupid. I was ignorant. I need to change my mind. I need to change what I was thinking. That was just dumb, me envying people in the world. That's, that's repentance. It's changing our, our mind, our heart, redirecting it to christ to god that's what the psalmist has done here and that's what we need to do that's just full surrender full submission to god or i i was wrong to ever think of doing life apart from you as though you wouldn't notice how senseless was that it was in my heart you knew that's what i was thinking and i was wrong so thankful to be back again held by you When you're held by God, you are released from sin and you're released from envy. Whatever it takes for you to to, to sense that and feel that, God is holding my hand and taking me to himself. And then verses 25 to 28 is just the confidence he now has after he's dealt with envy. He begins to speak about it rightly. He begins to uh, go to church and seek strength because we're weak, we need it. And then he, he submits fully, changes his heart and mind, surrenders completely to God's counsel, and it just creates this confidence. I preached on this the last couple, two weeks ago, verse 25 and 26. Now you see the, how he just goes into that. Who would I have in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing. Now I burn for you because I know I'm going to heaven. I'm connected to you. Verse 26 My flesh and my heart fail. Yes, I'm weak, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion of forever and then he goes on further for behold circle that stop and think about that whenever you see the word behold in bible that's god saying stop listen this is important don't miss this stop and look here is the way a southerner would say it verse 27 behold stop looking here those who are far from you will perish am i going to envy that that's crazy those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. So does faithfulness matter? You better believe it does. i got to turn from envy. i got to be faithful. Verse 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Nothing better than to be near God. Have God want to be near us. It says, when I, when I finally got that, he said, I, I choose God. I choose to be near God. When you're struggling with envy, what's going to be your choice? you Are going to go after what other people have, or do you choose to be near God? You have confidence that being near God is good. That's, that's where I want to be. And that's where the psalmist came, and I hope you'll get that that confidence, well, that nearness of God is better than nearness to anything on earth. Being near to God, well, let me let me sum it up. Some steps for engaging our envy as we think about it. I'm, I'll just give you two. I mean, four instead of five. Let's put the first two together. The first and the second one really is crush envy with this eternal perspective. Crush envy with an eternal perspective. Contextualize the people you're envying. Are they non-Christians? They're on a slippery slide headed to the pits of hell. They're going to be envying you soon. It's senseless to be envying them. Um, Remember to crush envy with that eternal perspective. Being loved by God is far more important than burning after those things that are in Number two, cultivate God's eternal perspective through weekly church meetings. We're too weak on our own. God has given us one day in seven to do church together. To have elders oversee us and say, let's gather together at 9.30 Sunday mornings, to hear the word of God, to sing praises together, to give our tithes and offerings, to encourage one another, to fellowship with one another, to hear the teaching of God's word, to be taught everything God's commanded. We need this. Because without this, we end up looking like the world, thinking like the world, wanting what's in the world. God knows this is our constitution. That's why he's designed this for us. We've got, we got a problem in America right now. It's hitting our church, too. We're not as bad as some. But church membership has not gone down. But church attendance has gone down. And as people have analyzed that, they're saying, Christians obviously have somehow developed this mindset that church is optional. I know I need to be in the church. I know I need to be a believer. I need to be committed to the church. I even need to give, and I can do that electronically now without even showing up. So I don't know. You know, I've got these things going on. I'm busy. Maybe I just won't go to church. And so it used to be, when I was born, you went to church four Sundays a month. I mean, that was considered regular. And then it went to three Sundays a month, and now it's to two Sundays a month and sometimes one. And people... Church members are saying, I'm still all in. I'm still a committed church member. What we're we're failing to see is the, the detriment of that, that we are weak and we're not being built up on a weekly basis. And the psalmist says, my problem could not be fixed until I came to the church, to the sanctuary of God, and then I figured it out. Because there I had the Word of God. There I had the Lord's Supper enriching me. There I had elder oversight. There I had believers strengthening me and stimulating me to love and good deeds and pointing out the Word of God to me. There I had examples of where I needed to be. There's so much here. You have the the penetrating power of the Holy Spirit through all of His people. And you don't get that online or anywhere else. We need the church to deal with envy, and to deal with just about any other sin we've got to deal with. So I I just encourage you, because I'm seeing this trend. And analysts are looking at it and saying, I don't know what to do. Well, what to do is we need to tell you. You need the church. I need the church. Make a commitment that you're going to be in the house of God, with the people of God, under the word of God, 52 weeks a year. And if not 52, at least 50. Okay? Why would you fudge on that? And if you're the other 50, you're on vacation, be in the church somewhere down there or up there, wherever it is. You still need the people of God. You might not know that local assembly, but be in that assembly 52 weeks. Just don't make it optional because we need it too badly. And God's designed it for us to deal with all the things that are going on. In our lives, so crush envy with eternal perspective. Cultivate God's eternal perspective through weekly church meetings. Number three, repent of our own ignorance. When's the last time you admitted to God, God, I'm dumb. Verse twenty-two, God, I'm senseless and ignorant. Why am I envying the arrogant? You know that's just crazy. The people who are on this slide going to the lake of fire. Now, I really need to acknowledge my own ignorance and say, God, you know so much more, you're so much wiser, I need you. The reason for our envy is wrong thinking. Let's acknowledge it so that we can move on. And then number four, rejoice in being guided by God's counsel. Where is it taking us? Verse 24, with your counsel you will guide me and afterwards receive me to glory. That's pretty good counsel. God says, let me give you some wise words and then as you take them, let me take you back and I'll receive you in the glory. That's where we're headed in Christ. That's where we want to go. And when we're there, there's a chasm between us and hell. And hell looks at us and all hell envies Those who have received the word, God's counsel have been taken into his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we all must admit there's times we have been terribly discontent with some physical feature, some illness, some affliction, some life struggle, some lack of money, treasure, talent, or thrill. Father, there's many times we've wanted what you've not provided and not thinking that you do all things good and well. Forgive us. We're sinners in need of turning from our sin, turning back to you for forgiveness and for your glory. Lord, have mercy upon us. Make make us a changed people. Make us those who really can see revival coming as we sang about earlier. Father, may there be a revival in our hearts that we're truly all in. We don't just say it, but we're truly sold out to Christ and his word and his way. Father, for those here this morning who've not ever trusted you, Lord, receive them. May your hand reach down to breathe new life into them. Grant them the power of your word and spirit to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. We do not wish for any of our own here to fall into the pits of hell. Lord, may they be redeemed and purchased out by the work of Christ. Father, what a joy it is to be God-loved and Christ-purchased. Thank you for that. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.